Welcome to your daily affirmations. Repeat after me, working with others is easier than ever. I strive for perfect collaboration. Our teamwork keeps getting better. Yeah, affirmations are great, but Monday.com can really get you the teamwork you desire. Work together easily and share files, updates, data, and just about anything you want all in one platform. Affirm yes to start. Or tap the banner to go to Monday.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What does it mean to be modern? And what is modernity anyway? I'm Ryan McDermott, host of Genealogies of Modernity, and I'm here to tell you that it's complicated. No, just kidding. In this show, we get a bunch of academics to actually venture answers to some really tough questions. What is genealogy? What are the sources of racism and anti-racism? You might disagree with our answers, but you can find them on Genealogies of Modernity, a limited series from Ministry of Ideas. Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to the New Book in Intellectual History, a channel of the New Books Network. My name is Yakir Englender, your host today. In God's image, the making of the modern world examines the central role that the biblical idea of the image of God has played in the development of Western civilization. Focusing on five themes, selfhood, freedom, conscience, equality, and meaning, this book guides the reader through a cultural history of the Judeo-Christian tradition from biblical times through modernity. It explains how each of these ideals was profoundly influenced by a central ancient conception that every human being was created in the divine image of God. The book makes a case for a cultural, ideational understanding of history that places the development of, of the individual at the core of Western civilization. In our interview, we will focus not only on the ideas of the book, but also on how they are deeply relevant to our existential Western society challenges around spirituality, anxiety, social media, and more. This interview is relevant not only for scholars, but also for students, lay leaders, and anyone interested in how ideas have been shaped in history. Dr. Tomer Persico, the writer of this book, serves as an academic director of Colot and a member of the senior management team and a research fellow at the Shalom Hartman Institute. Between 2018 and 2021, he was the current visiting assistant professor at the UC Berkeley Institute for Jewish Law and Israel Studies, a senior research scholar at the UC Berkeley Center for the Middle Eastern Studies. His fields of expertise include contemporary spirituality, Jewish modern identity, Jewish renewal, 
and forms of secularization and religiosity in Israel. Tomer, welcome to the New Books Network. It's so good to have you here. Thank you, Yakir. Great to be here. So I wonder if we can speak a little bit about um, the title of the book. And, mm. and I, I saw that the translation to English is a little bit different. So can we focus on the, to, on the title in Hebrew? How yeah. you will translate it? It's like human in the yeah. image of God, yeah. the idea that changed the world and Judaism. That's right. Yeah. And that's how you would translate it, I guess. Wonderful. But, I, but, the, but the phrase human in the image of God has more, it's more, it's, 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 it, it sounds better in Hebrew. It, uh, it's used. Uh, I don't think it's used as much as an expression, as an idiom in English, and it is in Hebrew. And so can you share with us, before we'll dive into this incredible book, can you share with us about what made you to write this book in, you know, in the 21st century? Okay, well, I mean, quite a few things. Uh, I was interested in modern Judaism and modern Jewish identity. I was interested in, um, in the origination and development of individualism. I was interested in modernity in general, in, in the malaise of modernity, as, as Charles Taylor, I guess, uh, calls it. And I was interested really uh, with the question, what makes, uh, what makes, let's say, privileged groups give up their privilege, right? I mean, we know that it is the easiest thing to, to be egocentric or ethnocentric, to to hold more privileges for our own and to justify that by many different means. But what makes the opposite movement possible? What makes people say, wait a minute, we are not entitled to this. Wait a second, actually these persons or these groups that are in front of us are not lesser than us and they deserve just as we deserve. What makes that possible? Because I think that's the, the, that movement, that, that sentiment is quite a lot of, uh, explains quite a lot in the West, in, in the history of the West. Of course, there are other things. Of course, there are you know, atrocities not to be counted here because we don't have time. But we, we also have this. We also have discourse of rights, we also have the, uh, um, the godly commandment to take care of the poor, to, uh, you know, to, to, um, to help the needy. We also have that, and I wanted to understand what makes it possible for people to argue these people are actually equal to us. Actually, all humans are equal. And so, so that's the question I set out to, to, uh, to investigate, to examine. Fascinating. You know, it, this is, I think, the, the third um, podcast I'm doing about books that deal with questions around human dignity. And, um, and many of them, I mean, all the three of them are dealing from like Christian or Jewish point of view. And they all start with God created Adam in their in God image. Mm-hmm. And they say, and you know, we, 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 we both go to many interface dialogues. Um, and this is one of the sentences that religious people say all the time, right? And leaders. And there is something that my instinct say, I don't trust you. It's like, you say that we are equal. I, not, not you, Tomer. I mean, like these religious yeah. leaders. 
it's like something today, it's like you say that and, you know, we have it in like Kabbalah sometimes that they say like um, in the Jewish mysticism that they say that every human being has the image of God, but <laughs> Jews has more. It's like, but yeah. man has more. But no un unless you are a believer or something like that. Uh, look, I mean, I get this question all the time when I talk about my book. I say, well, the idea of the image of God did something to the to the Jewish tradition, to the Christian tradition. It made it think otherwise about other human beings, about other groups of human beings. That and 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 and, and the response is, well, but then the Crusades and well, Jewish exceptionalism and well, racism, slavery. Now, again, all this is absolutely true. And I don't want for one minute to, to neglect to mention it. But what I try to, to get through is that this, you know, a, a, a aggressiveness or um, discrimination, racism, violence, this is the default. Mm. This is the basic yes. condition of groups vying or competing for the same resources or thinking that they are better in order to enhance their egotistical views or myths or whatever. This is the default condition. And this has been in every society of uh, the human race forever, right? And so what I'm asking is what made this in, in, in any minute uh, graduation different with, with some traditions, right? And in the Jewish and Christian traditions, I think the idea of the image of God is seminal in getting through a different point of view that says, wait just a minute, we actually don't have the right or are not entitled to take these people's property or lives or right land without justification or just because we are stronger. I mean, there, there is these, these these, these like um, um, obstacles to just doing whatever we want. And, and, and I think that's, that's a, a, a valid, you know, and a real point, a real historical uh, point that you can see. And I don't think it is a mistake or a coincidence that the whole discourse of rights and, and freedom of religion and freedom of conscience and equality developed so thoroughly in in Europe, right, and in, in North America, what would become the United States, and led to what we today have, what we today call the modern world or the liberal world, etc. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for that. I think it's really give us the, the, you know, the structure to understand. And now I want to dive into the book itself. So right. something that, Tomer, I love about the book, that you, each chapter takes something which, it, like, take a term that we are so used to say, in, in, uh, you know, in our modern time. And you actually show us two things. One, how complex it is, which means what a journey we did as humans in order to come to the 21st century and where we are, in a way, how lucky we are. And also you show how the idea of the image of God is actually kind of the seed, at least in the Judeo-Christian traditions of to become what we became, in a way, how it shaped it, right? Yeah. And I, I, and I want, yeah, please. No, I mean, I, I, I have to say, I was actually surprised. I had the idea 
of the image of God. And, you know, frankly, I thought somebody must have written about this because this is such a known idea. It's almost banal to say, well, you know, the image of God is very important in the development of the West. I was, but I couldn't find a book devoted to this. And when writing about this, I was actually surprised to see how much this idea was influential, how much this is referred to by different people in different positions, by, by popes and bishops and rabbis and wise men and ref, ref, um, social reformers. It was actually a joy to see the dots connecting, almost connecting themselves. Yeah, but you yeah. wanted to... Yes, wanted to yes. So, so I want to start with actually to try to ask you about the Bible. God says in Genesis that God creates human... Actually, it's interesting. It's Adam with God image. No, no, it's Adam and Eve. And, I mean, because it's it Genesis 1. Yeah, in Genesis 1, it's Adam yeah. and Eve. It's Adam and Eve. Okay, okay. It's Adam Elohim asa otam. Otam, right. God created them. God, he made them. I love it. Thank you, Tomer. Tomer, yeah. thank you so much for saying that. And then I want to ask you, do you have a story in the Bible? Before we go to the rabbis in the Talmud and the Midrash, do you have a story in the Bible that you can see that God says, because of that, we need to behave differently and not or instead, but and do you have a place where God decide to behave differently because God create us in the image of God? Right. In the Bible, uh, in the Bible, I don't think it, it, you have such a story. I mean, it's taken for granted. Uh, I, I, we can, if we, we want to interpret, we can interpret the uh, commandment not to worship idols and not to create idols. We can interpret that commandment as connected to, to man uh, and woman being the image of God. And why is that? Because image here in Hebrew, tselem, tselem is the actual idol. And the idea of the Bible is that in exactly the same way the wooden or stone idol sits in the temple, not only representing, but actually um, present, presenting or being the presence of the specific God, let's say Zeus or Dagon or Kmush or whatever. Just as that idol presents, meaning is the presence of uh, a specific God, Every, each and every human being is the presence of God, which created humans, right? This is the image of God. The image is the idol of God, but, you know, the, the one and only God. So when God commands the Jews not to worship idols, it is actually connected to this because it, the commandment is saying, look, there is only one, you know, one thing you should worship, and this is God, and the presence of God on earth is manifested through human beings and not through stone and wooden idols in temples. So you can connect this, right? But we. By the way, it's one of the fascinating interpretations you gave. Um, did you see it anywhere? Because I, I, it's in page 35 in your book, and it's like so beautiful said. Um, is it what? something that you saw that people interpret this idea? Or it, it was your, it, your... Actually, no. Actually, no. Uh, it's so wonderful, Tomer. But it also is connected to the fact that we have to acknowledge 
that for the Bible and even for Chazal, even for the wise men of the Talmud and the Mishnah, for them, human beings are in the image of God in a very literal sense. They are in the shape, the actual physical shape of the divine. It's not, you know, it's the image of God here is not the mind or reason or free will or conscience. All of these things, it will be across history, across the Western uh, development. But here in, in the Bible and in the Talmud, the image of God is the actual shape of humans. And, and here it is, it, the, the equivalence to the idols in temples is very clear. The idols in different temples are statues of the God, right? It's, it's very simple. And at the, in the same way, humans are sort of statues presenting the presence of, or manifesting the presence of the divine. Which brings me to the question, how come, uh, or how do you read the Bible? How come that we don't see it in the stories? How come that, you know, when the children, the two children of Jacob, uh, when um, their, their, their sister, she got hurt, sexually abused, uh, Dina, you know, they come to, 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 to the city um, of Shechem and they just like kill everyone. How come that no one says, but wait a moment. They are in the image of God. are creating the image of God too. Yeah. Like something doesn't look better in the Bible. And it really yeah, bothered me. It doesn't. It doesn't. And I mean, it, I think that we have to acknowledge that the change is very, very gradual. This is an idea that is planted as a seed. It does affect the Bible in some ways. By the way, I, I remembered another way uh, about uh, concerning laws about murder. Yeah, Gen- Genesis, Genesis 9, 6. Right, it says, uh, it says, I know the, the, the verse by heart in Hebrew, but not in English. Let, let's dama, say it. I, you know, sometimes we need to hear some Hebrew in the, yeah. this podcast. Shofech dama adam ba'adam damoy shofech ki betselem Elohim barait adam or sa'ad adam. It says, uh, he who spills the blood of man, by man shall his blood be spilled, because in the image of God, God created man. Now, what does, uh, why is that why is it important here to, you know, the whole uh, suffix of the, the whole ending of the verse? Why is it important to say, well, in the image of God? Because across Mesopotamia, Babylonia, Assyria, all these civilizations, the law was that not necessarily he who spilled the blood of men, his blood will be spilled. Sometimes his son's blood is spilled. Sometimes his father's blood is spilled. It, it, it depends on his particular relationship with the patriarch of the family, with the paterfamilias, right? And, and so we have different laws. I'll give you an example, a law from Babylonia that says, if a builder builds a house and he is negligently building it and the house falls down and kills the son of the owner of the house, the builder's son is executed, right? So the builder spilled the blood but his son carries the punishment. Why? Because he killed the son of the landlord, of the, of the house owner. And, and it's the relationship between the person and the patriarch, the, the head of the family, that determines who, who is punished. Now, the Bible goes against this. We, we see prophets go against this. Uh, Ezekiel and Jeremiah saying, uh, what, uh, fathers ate, uh, you know, um, uh, how do you say Bosser in English? Very hard. I don't know. 
you know, they ate, uh, they ate um, something, something spoiled, yes. and their and their son's teeth will be rotten. No, it's not fair. It's not just. Uh, and so the Bible says, "He who spilled the blood of men, by men his blood will be spilled, and not other people's blood." Why? Because in the image of God, God created men, right? And so the image of God makes each and every person special and unique. And you just can't juxtapose or replace a person with another person. And everybody is an agent of it, of themselves. Everybody is accountable to themselves. And everybody is special and unique. So, you, so, so the, the whole understanding of, of, of criminal punishment, of capital punishment is changed. And, and this is an actual law in the Bible that if, if, if I return to your question, even with the Hebrews, the ancient Israelites took a long time to implement, to be totally adopted. We have stories in the Bible where whole families are executed for the crime of a single member. Hmm. So, so even for them, it took a while for the law that is explicitly stated in Deuteronomy, right, to uh, or in, and in Genesis, to be to be totally implemented, and 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 so returning to the question to your question, it just takes a lot of time. Uh, these, as I opened and said, these are ideas and ideals that go against the grain, and for them to be adopted and totally uh, internalized. It's just it just takes a lot of time, and I think that this is one of the beauties that uh, you know. It's another thing that I really love in your book that you say that even when the the Bible, whoever wrote it, um, put this seed, you also emphasize about the work that we as humans we need to do as and as society, right? Because it's like the seed can be there and we can ignore it against and go against it for hundreds of years, but yeah. the seed can be an anchor that we can rely when I want to do a change. So, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's, I mean, I think as humans, we are uh, experts in ignoring what we don't want to acknowledge, right? We, it's no problem for us. And yet, when you have this, such a, a, a central idea in the Bible, in the Torah, in the very deepest and most important levels of, of the, the sacred text, right? It will, it will pop up again and again. It will insert itself. It will assert itself again and again in different situations. And, and eventually there will be enough good people, conscientious people to say, wait just a minute, this is wrong. And here we have the word of God saying that we need to ABC, right? We need to justly treat each other or whatever, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and I want to, you know, I want to invite like the listeners to think that also in that time we, as, as Orit Kamir and many others are saying in their research, sharing their research, we speak about like tension between two opposite values. One is honor and one is dignity which right. means that some people will interpret the image of God in a, an honor style or an honor structure, which means it's the honor, the image of God in our tribe, not in Tomer and Yakir, but in the tribe. 
and then and then the other anchor will say, no, the image of God is in the individual. And how hard is to say the word individual when you are living as part of a tribe, right? When a woman exactly. belongs to her father and then to her husband, as an example. Exactly. So, I mean, a major part of my book is devoted to the development of individuality. Yes. We, we as, as modern subjects, as modern individuals, we are so much used, we take for granted so much our individuality, it's hard for us even to imagine what it is not to be an individual. But for thousands of years, obviously, people were not individuals in the sense that they did not think that they are autonomous. Autonomy was not even an ideal for them. They were totally subdued and subjected to their surroundings, their families, their, uh, uh, you know, they were subordinate to certain uh, other humans, other people, and, and not only if they were slaves, but even if they were simply the son of, the daughter of, the wife of, there was always someone else who was in charge, and you were not only subject to this person's will, but you were considered his, and usually it's his, it's not hers, you were considered his um, appendage. You were a sort of a, a, another limb of this person. And that is why if this person, you know, affronts somebody else, you can pay the price because it's an eye for an eye, uh, uh, an ear for um, a, a tooth for a tooth and a son for a son. The son is just as much of a limb or a part of the body as the of the father as his eyes are, right? of the, as the father's eye. Are. This is what we need to understand, what it is not to be an individual, what it is not even to think of yourself as an autonomous being able to simply get up, go someplace else, you know, start another profession wherever, you know, make a living, rent an apartment. No, these, these ideas are miles away, are light years away of how people thought really until a few hundred, hundred years ago. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and even today, because it's never black and white, we, we, you can yeah. see that sometimes, right, a lot of the tension that, you know, you have in different countries can, or in different societies can be because of these two tension, like two different ideas. Yeah, we um, have, we, you know, even we have all sorts of things, especially in the Mediterranean. I, I think it's less so in, in the United States or the, the, but, but we have, we see that the remnants of this, uh, like people who are named uh, Moshe Ben Maimon, right? People are named after their father, son of, or, you know, we have Peterson as a surname in English or uh, Stephenson or whatever. These are the sort of names that connect you to wherever you came from. You're not an individual. You're not a separate human being. You're the son of yeah. or the father of or the wife of, etc. That's who yeah. you are. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes. Um, yeah, I love when people, you know, we don't have it in, 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 you know, in the Middle East, but like in America, you have like George III. You know, or, or all these names, right? Yeah. Or, or or less name. I think less name is a big debate. Who less name we take, right? It's America is so different than Israel. If I remember well, like the normal stand of point in Israel is like that you get like when a man and a woman get married, right? She get his fem less name. So it's interesting where it plays there. But I want to stay with the image of yeah. God, and we have so much in this book. I want to ask you a question that I didn't see in the book, but it's really it's bothered me. And I said, like, I want Tomer to, to help me here. 
When the Judeo-Christian tradition decided to focus on the image of God, it also says, in a way, that humans are ontological different than nature. And nature is the trees, nature are the animals, is anything which is not humans. Right. And with all its beauty, I wonder if it's also the term that made us to be in the 21st century where we have such an ecological disaster. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it is. It is, first of all, what made us take control of nature, what made us think for ourselves that it is possible and legitimate for us to be to have a dominion over nature, to use instrumentally nature for our purposes, to study nature, to cut nature up into small pieces and use them as we please. These are all built into this idea, right? And, and, and this is, you know, this is also Genesis, Genesis chapter one. And, 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 and I mean, this is God gave- Concurs the land. God gave a, a man dominion over the animals. It's, yeah. it's there, right? So it's totally connected to that. But we need to, you know, we just need to remember before we got into the ecological crisis that we are in now, this is what allowed us the technological and uh, and medical and scientific prosperity and advancement that we made thus far, right? So, so I mean, this is this is part of the deal. I mean, you, I mean, because not thinking this, thinking that we are not in dominion over nature is indeed, you know, a much more harmonious uh, way of, of, you know, uh, living in, in, in nature, certainly, but it does make you stay in the level, in the level of the tribe, maybe not the hunter-gatherer, but, but, but basically the tribe, where you don't develop technology that we did by applying nature to our needs. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And I think one of the beautiful things as we are going now, we are going to shift from the Bible yeah. to, to the Midrash and Talmud, which is, Tomer, where, where do we speak in history? Around when? When we so, think about Midrash and Talmud and uh, yeah, the beginning yeah, of Christianity. Yeah, the, the Mishnah is usually said to be, uh, to be, to be written and, and, and closed as such in 200 um, AD, and then we have or, uh, BCE, and then we have uh, we have the Talmud from the third to the fifth, sixth century, the Babylonian Talmud and the Jerusalem Talmud. And that's approximate what. Approximate wonderful, what. wonderful. Just that we all be all the listeners yeah. will be in the same on the same page. So here we come, and you say something so interesting. So I want to say it in um I, I saw it in one of you or in in the book, but also I want to say it as one of my teachers. He told me in a very personal um, you know, dialogue. And he said like that, Yakir, it's the essence, Christianity is a religion to make the individual to be the closest he or she can be to the divine. At the essence, Islam and Judaism is to make the family to be, it's like a family religion. Right, right. And you you really like nail it and bring you the history. What happened with Christianity, with Paulus, and with, you know, that made the individual, the idea of the individual? Yeah, I think this is, this is spot on and we have to emphasize it. And I do it. I, I try to emphasize it in the book. 
the, the amazing revolution that Christianity brought to the world by focusing on the individual when uh, we are talking about worship of the divine, knowing the divine, knowing truth, being saved. These are all uh, dramas that occur to the individual, to the uh, unique person, and not to the family or to the tribe or to the nation, right? And you know, the easiest way to, to say it is just to understand what the, how different the ideas of redemption are for Judaism and Christianity, for Judaism, for classic ancient Judaism, biblical and Talmudic, the idea of the coming of the Messiah of redemption is that the whole people get saved, meaning it, uh, there is a gathering of exiles from the different diaspora places to the land of Israel and the reinstitution of the lineage of King David. There is a new king of the house of David that controls and there's a temple. That's redemption. Redemption is a political event, right? In the end, that's what it is. And Christianity turned that whole around and said, no, redemption actually happens to the individual within him or herself. It is a transformation, a metamorphosis. Metamorphosis is a word that Paul, St. Paul uses a lot, right? Inside a person and, and they are uh, relieved uh, or justified of original sin, et cetera, et cetera, right? And, and now, you know, why was that? And, we, and what I try to show is that it was indeed Paul, and of course, I'm not the first to say it. It was Paul that when wanting to universalize Christianity, when wanting to transcend the boundaries of the Jewish people, right? And that's what yeah, he is, the, uh, the apostle to the Gentiles, right? He is saying you don't need to be Jewish in order to receive Christ, a redemption by Christ. That's what he's saying. And in order to do that, he had to, to, to hand in hand uh, expand the focus from one people to all human beings. And at the same time, and, and this is connected, um, focus the, the redemption in the individual. So if it's just the individual that is redeemed, everybody can be redeemed. So he, he bypasses the, the, uh, the whole division into different nations by uh, focusing on the individual and thus making this also a universal path to redemption. I don't know about you, but I'm very busy and I don't have a lot of time to cook. That's why I subscribe to Factor. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. These are two-minute meals. Factor meals are ready to eat in heat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. They're flexible for your schedule. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math, and this is important. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash NBN50 and use code NBN50 to get 50% off. That's code NBN50 at factormeals.com slash nbn50 to get 50 percent off when you read paulus and when you read the you know um the you know the the, the students of paulus and i i oh, guess 
I think our English oh, oh, listeners oh, are using. Oh, of course, I apologize. I apologize. I apologize. Uh, yeah. You're using Latin simply. Yes, 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 yes. Thank you, thank you, Tomel. So when when we when you read Paul and when you read the students of Paul and when you read the, I, I mean, I guess the you know the father and the the mothers of the deserts, um, which is also um, by the way, you you can see that women become a part of the of of not only the tribal journey of the Jewish people, but they become the leader and part, you know, part of the leader of the spiritual journey. Yeah. You have the mother of the deserts. How much do you see that they rely on the idea of image of God? Well, I think that's the point. I mean, really what Paul did is he internalized the image of God. He made the image of God instead of the actual form and shape of the body to something internal, to truth or to freedom, liberty or to knowledge, it's or to, to the image of Christ, which is our inner image. There are a few different ways to put this, but that but that very internalization, except for making again redemption personal, private, that also made for. I mean, that was a big step in terms of equality between people because, because inside we all share a divine soul. And if the form of our body does not matter, maybe if we are male or female, that doesn't matter. And, and, and so there is the, you know, the very famous Galatians verse by Paul. And let me, um, let me uh, uh, search for it because it's, you know, Paul says, you are all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus, for as many of you as have been baptized in Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bound nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. Imagine a person in the first century saying nations do not count, right? Being a slave or a free person does not count, meaning social status, and the, the most fundamental social status of those days. And gender does not count. Imagine that in the first it's century. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable, really. It's a fantastic revolution. And, and of course, it took a lot, a lot, a lot of time until these words were actually, you know, uh, internalized and then implemented, etc. But this, this is already, again, planting a seed with the idea that only what happens within you counts, only the, for Paul, the metamorphosis into the image of Christ, into, uh, into the, 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 the image of the Messiah, etc. cetera. Uh, and that only counts. And then really other things don't matter or matter a lot less. And, uh, and again, gradually this will make all people of all nations of all gender equal, of all genders. And do you, when you think about, let's go now back to the to to, to the Jewish side of the, the same coin right. at that time, do they reject this idea of a pull, or in some ways um, they they took it to Jewish language? Um, I think for the Talmud, they 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 will reject it. They will reject it. I, and I why, you know, Wait, uh, I can't believe I forgot his first name, Boyarin. Ah, Daniel Boyarin. 
mm -hmm. uh, which which I knew in Berkeley, by the way, and became a friend of his. Incredible scholar of Talmud. A fantastic scholar and a mensch. That's what I want to emphasize. This is a great person, also. Mm. But uh, but so 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 he has a great book. It's it's called the Habasar Baruch in Hebrew. It's the uh, the spirit in the flesh. I think I, I don't know how he's translated it in English. And he shows how how Judaism and Christianity in these days in the first centuries really departed parted ways and just moved in opposite directions while at the same time always viewing each other and trying as much as possible not to be like the other. So they really went the, the other way and we see Judaism embrace an internalized view of uh, the person, of the image of God, of and finally of redemption even, only from about the 10th century, 11th, 12th century and on with the, a bit of the Geonim, but mostly you can see it very well in Maimonides and then afterwards in the Kabbalah, right? There you can already see that the, the Christian idea of that what matters is what is inside has come, come back to Judaism, right? Uh, has come full circle and Judaism is now embracing it and giving it its own interpretation and twist, obviously. Yeah, yes. Um, and I want to go to the next revolution that's happening, yeah. which is, I don't know how to say it. I mean, you, you said it so much better in your book, but um, the, at one point, we start seeing that the idea of consciousness, of matzpun. Conscious, yeah. The conscious. And something that I, I want to say it in, in, in that way, when you say that everyone is created in the image of the divine, one of the things that can happen, which can be danger, is to say, so we are all the same. Mm -hmm. but, but actually what's happening with the interpretation that it's become, since the, the divine is infinite, so each right. one of us is unique. Yes. Now, this we already have in the Mishnah, by the way, right? With the famous uh, uh, verse about how a king stamps coins and they're all the same, but God stamps his image on people and each, and each person one is different is and how, how wonderful that is. And it is indeed taken to the next step. Uh, and this is already the Middle Ages and even beginning of modernity with the Protestant Reformation. When conscience becomes such an important point, a source of identity and of meaning. I cannot go against my conscious. That's what you would hear. And people are fighting for freedom of conscious. And it, it may be, you know, it's exemplified beautifully by, by, by Martin Luther, uh, the great reformer uh, in, the, uh, in the Diet of Worms. We are talking 1521 when different authorities from the church, from the Catholic church, obviously come and try to, you know, try a final attempt to get him to back down, right? Uh, and to rescind uh, what he said and, and to say, okay, I'm, I was wrong, etc. And he has this famous, you know, it's popularly known as his famous words, here I stand, I can do no other, right? But actually what he says, and let me quote this because this is, this is so, so amazing, um, something to the effect of, of um, unless I am proven 
by scripture that I am wrong, I will have to be a, a true to the to my conscience and my interpretation that my conscience, which is bound to the word of God, meaning to his interpretation of the word of God. And I cannot rescind what I said because it is wrong to go against one's conscience. God help me, amen. Something like that, right? So he uses his conscience not to discern for himself, decide for himself what is wrong and what is right. That's that's far from Luther. That's a modern position. He's not a modern person. But he does say my own interpretation of the word of God, of what is wrong and what is right that God commands us, this I have to be loyal to, right? And this is a great moment of, of transformation because Luther is, is at the end, he's putting his conscience as a source of authority above the Pope and above different church councils, right? And, and decrees. So you, you can't get around this. The conscious gets a superior place in the life of a person, Luther in this case, and the Protestant revolution continues this model, right? And, 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 and places the individual human being at a prominent position to interpret the Holy Scripture and thus really to, to create as many churches as people are, right? And in the end also, and I hope we will get to it, secularization. Yes, yeah. So you, you, I just want to bring how I imagine that, Tomer. I think that what I learned from your book that at the time of the Bible, first of all, in order to put this seed, you need to create like a bubble to protect this seed, which mm -hmm. is between the person and the tribe. Later in the time of Paul, you need to put this like little bubble of safety um, mm -hmm. that you are not allowed to touch in order to let things happen between the relationship of the individual towards the divine and mm -hmm. the community towards the divine. What wow. I hear now is a next bubble of safety, which a person is allowed to say, I know that I need to listen to the words of the divine in the books and in the church or in the synagogue, but mm -hmm. I need to start create a bubble in order to let the seed of the image of the divine inside me to speak who I am when I read the text. Right. It's like between a person and themselves. Themselves. Right? And that's a wonderful way of putting it. Yeah, this, this, this bubble that is always changing. And really what we see is that it is being internalized more and more. First, the community or the people, the Jewish people, right? Then for Paul, between us and Jesus, we are, we are always in some connection. And then for, for Martin Luther, it is between a person and their own conscience and the word of God, right? And if we go to the future, it will become only a person and their own conscience. Even the yes. word of God will become superfluous, right? We will have the discourse of human rights, which I show developing that places the only you know duty you have in respecting a person's conscience the, the the holy bible the holy scripture is not no longer in the picture and finally we will have a secular world where i think that bubble pops that bubble pops and there's no safety bubble it's just it's just the discourse of rights we don't no longer have the image of god as something that is we need we are duty bound to respect 
we just have the person, the, the, just the, the actual organism, right? And here we might, you know, it's not the, the program of the book. It's not something that I write about, but we, we might start thinking about our own liberal world and our own liberal crisis, right? right? About how that, that fits in. Right. Like, how do you protect, for example, this bubble when Facebook bomb us with messages, as an example? Yeah, that's right. I mean, by what authority do you say, wait a minute, this, this doesn't work or this can't fly, right? This can't go on. Because, because Martin Luther could say, you and I both agree that people are made in the image of God and that the conscience is something that is bound, is, is connected to that image of God. The image of God is within us and, and we are, and, and you and I both agree that this is sacred. So if I say to you, my conscience is bound to the word of God, which is also sacred, of course, you have to respect that in a way, not that they didn't right. try to kill him, right? But, but he had something to, you know, to position himself on when he made that, you know, that cry, that charge. And, and, and we don't have that now. And it's, it's, and we have, or many, we have many different things now, which are all lesser in degree, but, uh, and yeah, we need to think about that. So let's go to the last part of the book when you come to, to the secular idea. Right, so right. what happened in the, in, 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 in this idea that they say, because all the idea that I can listen to myself in a way my permission to listen to myself and the demand of you that I will listen to you is because we both are created in the image of the divine. Right. And then at one point, there is no God in the story. Right. Is it because think... the project went so well? <laughs> and what's yes, the danger in, in that? In a way, yes. That's, I mean, that's the amazing thing, ironically the more people were invested in the image of God, which was private, personal, internal in each and every one of us, the more people gave way to that, the less and less they were, I mean, the farther away they were from the idea of a divine father or king in heaven that we need in order to set our lives correct or whatever. And, and I mean, what I found, what I was so, you know, enjoyed finding, I'm, I'm not a secular person myself, but it was amazing how this very idea at the end brings the secular world that we live in. And, and, and what I try to show in the book, and, and really this is all through the book, I try to base myself not only when I, when I talk about changes in human history, not only on material conditions, which I think is a, I don't want to say mistake, but it's, 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 a, you know, it's, it's part that is, uh, I mean, I, I think it's something that it's a weakness of many researchers that base their understanding of history only on material conditions. And what I try to show is that ideational uh, reasons, that ideas, that, uh, ideals that uh, uh, values have an enormous effect on history. Okay, and, and obviously because I think the image of God has an enormous, and it's an idea, yeah, right? Yeah. And then here I try to show the development into atheism uh, and, and try to, to give that ideational angle and give that even, I would say, ethical angle. I try to show through people like 
Pico de la Mirandula, uh, through Count Dolbach, uh, the French Enlightenment philosopher, uh, through and, and even up to Albert Camus, that what they wanted when they, not Pico, but the others, when they turned their back on God, they were, in, in as far as they were concerned, doing the right thing morally. Because for them to be totally moral persons, they could not believe in God as far as they were concerned. Because from the point of view of reason, if we want to be totally moral, we cannot have the sword of hell or the, the, the presence of heaven dangled above us. Because if we are good only to get rewards, or only because we fear punishment, that's not real goodness. That's not real morality. So in order to be a moral person, we need to reject God. And in order to be a, a truthful person, an authentic person, a person that is loyal to themselves, we cannot, for them, lie to ourselves and imagine that there's a big you know, king in heaven that will grant us all sorts of things. We need to be brave and face a world that is devout, um, 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 I'm sorry, I, I don't know if I said that correctly, a world that, that, that is uh, empty of divine providence, a world that is empty of divine meaning. We don't have any such thing and we are brave enough to acknowledge it, okay? So there's a whole ethical um, way here, a whole ethical, um, 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 you know, um, good here, which we want to achieve by rejecting the divine. And, and, so this is, and, and this is allowed by the idea of the image of God, because the image of God makes each and every person a dignified being, right? We talked about the difference between honor and dignity. And if I want to maintain my dignity, I would have to reject such a bossing policeman in the sky because it is undignified for me to be moral only because that guy says so or gives me a reward. And it is undignified for me to believe in something that I have no proof for because it is demeaning, it is, I'm, I'm, it's, it's just grasping for straws, it's something. So all this moral uh, weight is, is, is is given here, and I try to show how, how seminal it was in the process of secularization and in the making of modern atheism. So here, Tomer, since we're coming to very, um, you know, soon to the end, mm -hmm. I want, I, I need your intake. Yeah. As I was reading the whole book, something that, that bothered me and I, I, I I needed to walk me here. We started by saying that we care about each human being because we are made in the image of the divine. Right. By this decision of the old idea of idolatry, and I want to go back to the idolatry, mm -hmm. we make huge decision to cut ourselves in a way from nature because of our relationship outside with the divine. Right. Slowly, we said the divine is not outside, but it's inside. Right. And then at the end of the story, 
and, and I, I want to say a word and don't be upset, the masculine story. Okay. I'm alone in the 21st century because God sounds ridiculous. I mean, right. the God of the Bible and the, you know, all yeah. of that. So the secular person would say, I, it, it just, I, I can't, I need to be honest to myself. It doesn't right. make sense. Right. Right. I am alone because right. from the beginning, the condition was that I'm with the divine and it's on the account of nature because I'm against idolatry. Right. What I say to the people I'm working with who are now growing up secular with huge anxiety, with huge loneliness, where they wow. try to find this image of the divine in Facebook and, and it's like, what did we do? Right. I think, yeah. I, I, and and what, are... next? what next? What next? What, where should we walk with that, Tom? We have a problem with ecology, as we said before. And I think we have a great problem of fragmentation, of social fragmentation, because yeah. this, the idea of the image of God at the end enhances individuality. As we said, it's from the beginning of Christianity, but we are now at the stage where we celebrate our individuality so much. We are we're so much invested in it that it's, it's, it's almost a, a, a difficulty for us to see us as a part of a community, to see us as a part of a nation, you know, God forbid, right? And, and, or, and what people do is only see themselves as a part of the universal humanity, which is, of course, as Paul already, you know, uh, this is the same trick <laughs> Paul used, is just, is the remaining individual. This yes. is remaining an individual, yes. right? Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's an enormous problem. And I'm, of course, I'm not going to presume that I have a solution for it. Uh, but but I think first of all we need to acknowledge it, right? We need to understand that this is the situation we are in. We are in a situation of hyper individualism, which is a situation of hyper sort of Christianity. It's so hyper Christianity that is it is secular and atheistic. <laughs> That's what happens at the very very end, right? right? And it's a hyper image of God, but without the actual image of God because we don't believe in God and we don't believe in you know mystical stuff and so from from many different directions we are left more poor today than we were and not to not to in any way disparage or you know talk badly about the liberal order which I I only hope it will survive as Amen. long as I live because I, you know I don't want to go back to anything that was in the past uh, right now but we do but even you know even if we do want the liberal order to survive, we need to understand with, that we need more balances in different parts of our lives, like we said, towards nature and indeed towards the community between each other. Fascinating. Tomer, thank you so much for writing this book. We, I, I hope to read it very oh. soon in English. Yes, it is translated uh, as we speak by a fantastic translator, Elon Levy, and, ah. and I hope to find a, a publishing house for it. Yeah. Amen. And thank you so much for joining us in the New Books Network. Thank you so, so much. It was a pleasure. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 